Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, episode 26, The Sack of Rome. My name is Josh, and this is everyone's favorite podcast about the history of barbarian people. In the last episode, we left off with our Visigoths surrounding the Eternal City after being abandoned by the executed Stilicho and his Emperor Norius. This week, we are going to cover the three sieges of Rome by the Visigoths that would culminate in the first sacking of Rome in almost 800 years. Now, as we get into things here, there are a couple of facts to keep in mind. So I'm going to do a couple minute recap of some important things. First, Rome is no longer the imperial capital. That has, of course, moved to the more defensible city of Ravenna, which is about 200 miles or 350 kilometers north and east of Rome. The Senate is still based in the city of Rome and would serve as the leadership for the encircled people throughout these sieges. Second, the Goths were made up of, as usual, an eclectic mix of people. The leadership, like Alaric, are Aryan Christians of Gothic descent. The warriors are a mix of experienced Visigoths and Radagaisus' Gothic warriors, who don't really have that much known about them, but we do think that there are many types of people that made up those warriors of Radagaisus' who then joined Alaric and his Visigoths. Certainly there were many non-Christians, as Radagaisus was an ardent pagan, So we have Christians and non-Christians in that mix of folks as well. Additionally, many slaves joined Alaric's army, both as warriors and as camp followers. The best estimate is about 40,000 fighting men were in the army with tens of thousands more family members and camp followers accompanying the army of the Visigoths. Third thing to keep in mind, the Goths, as you remember, have had a problem laying an effective siege to major cities for 150 years, and Rome is still a major city with walls, defenses, and a population of possibly 800,000 people or so that could defend the city. Fourth thing to remember, there are currently three large problems that the Western Empire is dealing with at this time. First, The Vandals have broken through the Rhine River region and taken over a large chunk of what is today France, Belgium, and Luxembourg. A Roman general in Britain, Constantine III, no relation to the real Constantines, led a rebellion against Rome because of Honorius' lack of action against the said Vandals. This, by the way, led to the removal of the last Roman troops in Britain, leading to the rise of the King Arthur legend this whole era. Also, Honorius' brother Arcadius died, and his young son has taken over the Eastern Empire's throne, which could be a potential weakness for the Empire as well. Then lastly, it is important to remember that the goal of the Visigoths is not to destroy the Roman Empire and try to replace it with a Gothic one. They knew that they could not accomplish this. There were only 40,000 warriors, maybe 100,000 people. This is not enough people to replace the whole Roman system. The goal was to gain concessions from Rome that included a safe and secure portion of the empire that could be settled in exchange for an alliance. And one last point that just kind of complicates things a little bit. There was a rumor that Alaric was dead. This started back in 405 or 406, and in fact had been a rumor 
several times for the Visigoths and throughout history, these mysterious uh, enemy commanders had always been uh, someone that people talked about, obviously. So a rumor of their death would certainly be something that the Romans would talk about. Okay. So it is October 408. Alaric and the Roman Senate were in a staring contest. Honorius, who is safe in Ravenna, decides that his smaller force of Roman troops cannot directly confront the Goths, risking the possibility of losing and leaving the entire peninsula of Italy completely vulnerable to the Goths. Also could be vulnerable to Constantine, who, remember, is up in modern-day France, Gaul, fighting the Vandals. And the Vandals could possibly come into Italy as well. So, Honorius is going to keep his small group of soldiers in Ravenna with him. Alaric, not interested in destroying Rome, but enforcing concessions, coupled with the idea that the Visigoths were not great at siege warfare, planned on starving the Roman people and their Senate. So, as this is happening, the Senate, understanding there is no help on the way to lift the siege, they understand that Alaric is going to try to wait the Senate and the city out. So the Senate sends a negotiating team and begins talks with the Visigoths. The negotiations took the better part of November and December of 408. Many of the Romans, including members of the negotiating team, were still not sure if Alaric was alive, still believing that he had died before the Visigoths even entered Italy. Eventually, though, this rumor would die away, as Alaric certainly would be alive, and all would believe that he was still alive in the Italian peninsula shortly. And this also then ties into something we'll get into later. Many of the most religious Christians thought that he was, Alaric that is, certainly a demon or possessed by one, which goes into our world is ending kind of narrative pushed out by several religions at this time. But we'll get back to that a little bit later on. Okay, so by the end of 408, the two sides had agreed to a deal. The Romans would have to promise to find a long-term peace between the Visigoths and the Empire, which would presumably include a permanent settlement and relationship within the Empire. The Romans also had to pay 5,000 pounds of gold, 30,000 pounds of silver, 4,000 silk robes, 3,000 purple dyed furs, which remember, purple is the most expensive color at this time, and 3,000 pounds of pepper. The Senate and private citizens were required to pay this large fee, and they were tasked to f in finding the proper sources. Some of the funds would come from private savings of rich senators. Some would even come from statues of the gods within the city. The Visigoths then led up the siege and held a three-day market for the starving citizens of Rome so they could purchase food and supplies from the barbarians in what must have really been an incredible scene for all parties. The Romans, who, if we could go back to the first days of Fritigern's crossing of the Danube in 376, had held a market for the starving barbarians who, if we remember were sold dog meat for exorbitant prices, and in some cases were forced to trade their children into slavery for food from the Romans. 
Now the power and prestige the Romans once had was all but forgotten as they, starving and diseased, faced a surly, excessive, expensive market at the hands of Alaric's people. My how fortunes change. At the conclusion of the market, the Visigoths would move north to Tuscany and set camp to await from Honorius in regards to the long-term solution for themselves. Alaric and his people now face a unique challenge. They're flush with gold, booty, and thousands of Rome's escaped slaves, which swell their ranks even further. The people are temporarily happy. The problem they faced in Tuscany is that there's no way that they could stay there in any permanent way. The Romans would not give them land in Italy proper to make their permanent home. The riches they obtained from the looting of the cities and the ransom paid from the siege of Rome did not hold its proper value. The fact that the Goths had destroyed the economies of the region, including farmland, meant that food cost so much more gold than it, what it should. The supply of gold was up from the looting, but the supply of food was down. So the Visigoths were wasting much of their riches by sitting tight and paying ridiculous prices for the locals' food. They could have just taken the food, but this would have spurned more battles more fighting with the Romans, which they were trying to avoid as they were negotiating, because they just got done sieging Rome, they were trying to peacefully coexist with the Romans while they found a place for themselves within Romans, the Romans' empire. Okay, so one side note about this first siege of Rome in 408. Serena, the wife of the now-dead Stilicho, and the cousin of the Emperor Honorius, an adopted sister, was in Rome during the siege. All throughout the empire, including Rome, there was a significant move to purge the followers and any other people connected to Stilicho, which his wife would fall under suspicion as well. Gala Placidia, the half-sister of Emperor Honorius, and therefore a relation to Serena, ordered her execution by strangulation at this time. Thermintia, Stilicho's and Serena's daughter, and wife to Honorius, the second of the couple's daughters to marry Honorius, after Maria, the older daughter, had died the previous year. She was sent to Rome shortly after the execution of her father to be with her mother. It is to be assumed that during the siege, when her mother is being accused of some sort of wrongdoing and then ordered to die by Galaplacidia, that Thermentia survived this purge and would eventually die of unknown causes sometime around the year 415 CE. So we have the emperor's sister executing their cousin because of their connection to Stilicho, who was the emperor's father-in-law. So all sorts of craziness. Okay, so let's get back to the Visigoths. The Visigoths are therefore in a situation that is once again not tenable, and Honorius knows this. He therefore continues to call their bluff. The Visigoths had wanted a place to call home. Pannonia was once again the area of discussion for the two sides, but peace was not to be. The emperor called five legions from Dalmatia, or about 6,000 troops, to move to Rome to defend the Eternal City. Alaric intercepted them, killed or captured all but a hundred men, 
And in the spring of 409, Ethelf, Alaric's brother-in-law, left his position over in the Julian Alps on their way to Pannonia, if you will, defending Alaric's retreat back to Illyricum, where they had come from. He is now in northern Italy to join up with Alaric and the Visigoths. Honorius sent his key advisor, Olympias, to capture or destroy these forces, and they met near the western coast city of Pisa, leading to the defeat of the Roman advisor and his downfall. Olympias, who you remember, is one of the main enemies of Stilicho, who ultimately forced Honorius into declaring Stilicho an enemy of state and therefore executing him. Olympias is humiliated and would flee from power to Dalmatia, never to make it back into our sources again. This puts Jovius into power for the Romans as the key advisor to Honorius, who he seems to be one of the few allies of Stilicho to make it through the purges of late 408 within the Roman military. He meets Alaric for negotiations in the city of Armerinium. Alaric calls for yearly tribute and lands for his people in Noricum and Dalmatia and a high military title. Jovius goes back to Honorius, who again turns the Goths' terms down. Alaric then counters with a request for just lands for his people and some food shipments, which are again turned down by Honorius. And this takes us to the fall of 409 CE. And there is a rumor spreading in the Visigothic camp that Rome has hired 10,000 Hunnic mercenaries to come and attack the Goths. Alaric, buying into this rumor, sees this as the last straw in their negotiations that have been going on for months now. And the Goths move to Rome to lay siege again. Uh, by the way, the mercenary hunts never do materialize for the Romans, but Alaric has already been spurred to action, and he lays siege to the Eternal City for the second time in as many years. Alaric is going to try a different tactic this time, though. He met with a delegation of senators and forces them to elect a new emperor of Rome named Priscus Attalus. Attalus is a pagan that agreed to be baptized before being elected that comes from an old Roman family. This means that he is the new emperor of Rome, for which, those of you counting, there are four emperors in the Western Roman Empire right now, all reigning concurrently in the year 409. So the new Gothic-Roman Senate extorted coalition send emissaries to Ravenna to begin negotiations with Honorius as Alaric begins to secure support in towns around Rome and into northern Italy. He then heads to Ravenna, bolstered by still more escaped slaves from the areas in and around Rome. Slaves probably from Radagaisus's defeated army of three years prior, who continued to see Alaric and his people as a way out of servitude. Alaric's army is perhaps up to 40,000 troops at this point, and probably 100,000 still, if you include women, elderly, and children, and camp followers. By this time, it is the beginning of the summer of 410. So we've laid siege to Rome twice now. We've come to terms once. A second time we came to terms with the Roman Senate by creating another emperor of Rome. 
And now, Alaric and his new emperor, if you will, ally, are running around Italy trying to drum up support for this new emperor in Italy. The Goths are marching towards Ravenna, where the imperial court still is, and a fresh 4,000 troops that are sent from the Eastern Roman Empire to secure Honorius' court. Another problem arises for Alaric, though. His puppet Roman emperor decides not to be a good puppet. Attalus and Alaric decide to invade North Africa, which we mean North Africa as the area around Old Carthage or modern-day Tunisia, because this part of the Roman Empire stayed loyal to Honorius and were still sending grain and money to the Roman emperor. Attalus refused to agree to sending the Gothic troops to the Roman province because he is said to not have trusted the Gothic intentions for the province, which may have been an accurate assessment of the situation. Therefore, they twice sent small, loyal Roman troops who either betrayed them or were defeated easily in northern Africa. Alaric had had enough of Attalus, though, after their arguing and bickering over the North Africa affair, and fired him as emperor in July 410. Interestingly, though, Attalus would stay on with the Visigoths as an advisor for years to come. It is important to note that in 409, the Vandals, Alans, and Suevi that came crashing through the Rhine region on December 31st of 406, led by the Vandals, are now in Spain. They crossed the Pyrenees in 409 into modern-day Spain. And we'll talk about these people much more later on. Also, it should be noted that Constantine III had defeated several Western Roman armies in Gaul, and Honorius was forced to name him co-emperor at the same time a general named Gerontius rebelled against the rebellious Constantine III, but in Spain. Gerontius named a man Maximus Emperor in Spain. Also, at the same time, yes, this is getting ridiculous, Saxons began the raids on the Roman Britain, which was abandoned by Constantine III in 407, who removed all the troops from Britain, leaving the Romano Britons to fend for themselves, and therefore, they are rebelling in Britain against the Romans. Oh yeah, and don't forget, we still have Priscus Attalus in 409, Gerontius is Maximus in 409, Constantine III and Honorius, all four of those people in 409 are calling themselves emperor of the Western Roman Empire. So, all of these side stories and subplots have very interesting endings, but we will not cover them because I only bring them up to give the context for our story involving the sack of Rome. All this chaos and existential threats are happening in the Western Empire, and Honorius is trying to deal with the Goths in Italy proper. Difficult decisions need to be made. Okay, so it is July 410 CE, and Alaric is back fully in charge after the demotion of the usurping Roman senator Priscus Italus. Talks began again between Alaric and Honorius, and they agreed to meet in a small town called Alpus, which is 12 kilometers or 7.5 miles outside of Ravenna, to negotiate a truce once more. As Alaric and his small contingent approached the meeting place outside the Imperial Roman capital, a group of Roman officers and men, about 300 altogether, 
ardent in their anti-Alaric feelings, and intent on war, not peace, attacked the small Visigothic group of negotiators that included the high-ranking men like Alaric. This group of Roman troops are led by none other than Saurus the Goth. As a reminder, Saurus was a Visigothic nobleman that probably lost out during the election of the King Alaric back in 395, and most certainly defected to the Romans after the defeat of the Goths under Alaric at the Battle of Verona in 402. Saurus is beaten off, but manages to flee to fight another day, which he most certainly will, and we will be visiting his story again in the very near future. This attack enrages Alaric and the Visigoths. They decide, after two full years of negotiating with Honorius and his various advisors, from Silico to Olympias to Jovius and others, that there can now be no negotiations as long as the status quo has maintained. Something must be changed or ramped up, and that change is going to be at Rome. So, in August of 410... The Goths are once again surrounding Rome. This third siege, in as many years, will not last as long as the previous two. There are several facts that we do not know at this point. We do not know much about the siege, strangely. But we certainly know its result. We know what gate will serve as the point of attention, the Salarian Gate. But we do not know how long, what kind of negotiations, or the final method employed that allowed the Visigoths to enter Rome on August 24th, and the shock of the world by sacking Rome for the first time in 800 years. We do have a couple of ideas as how the Goths got in through the Silurian gates, though. First, there is a theory that Gothic slaves in the city opened the Silurian gates to allow their brethren in, which makes sense. Another version of this same story involves that the Visigoths, during the siege, gave 300 of its best slaves to the Romans as a goodwill gesture during negotiations, and these slaves were in all actuality soldiers who escaped their captors at night and then opened the gate. Another version involves a noblewoman who opened the gates for the Goths as to not make the city suffer anymore and just get the sacking over with, minus the part of where the siege happens that includes starvation and disease for the entire city. Another version includes gold being paid to some inhabitants to open the gates. Regardless of the actual story, it seems to contain some form of treachery or trickery for the Goths to get into the city. The story is certainly written by the people that are not always sympathetic to the Visigoths, but I would tend to believe that the Slayer Gate did actually open due to some trickeration because of all the stories do seem to have some variation of this. So, the Goths, who famously could not lay siege to a large fortified city, storm in on August 24th, and like so many smaller Roman cities over the course of the last 200 years, Rome will fall prey to the invading Visigoths. By all accounts, the sacking of Rome in 410 was an organized and lenient affair by the standards of the day. Apparently, Alaric had given orders to respect the Christian churches throughout the city and to respect many of the large public buildings. The Goths even designated the large basilicas of St. Peter and St. Paul as sanctuary centers. Therefore, any Roman seeking shelter in these two buildings would be spared any harassment. There is even a story of a nun named Marcella who was removed from her home after 
and taken to one of these sanctuary centers to safely recover from her injuries. Those injuries probably were inflicted by the Goss. Her house was then ransacked and alleviated of all its valuables. Only the citizens' homes, stores, markets, Senate House, the Salarian Gates, and the Gardens of Solace near the Salarian Gate were destroyed. The lack of the complete destruction of Rome, like in 390 BCE, where the Celts destroyed all but the fortress on the capital, burning the rest of the city. A large 2,025-pound silver ciborium, or community cup, was stolen from the Lateran Palace during the sacking, but many of the useful everyday liturgical vessels of communion cup and materials would be left, presumably, for the survivors to use. The citizens of the city, though, would fare much worse than the buildings. The Goths, like all plundering armies, for most of history, not just during this time period, would rob, rape, beat, kill, and enslave the inhabitants of a city. This civilized and measured sacking of Rome is still barbaric in most of the ways that we would include in today's standards. After three days, Valer called off the plundering. The Goths left the city with a wagon train full of gold and other valuables and thousands of slaves in tow. And the city is still left to recover. The inhabitants began to come out from their hiding places. Others who fled to the fields, forests, and hills outside the city returned to begin picking up the pieces. The Goths, who had just spent the last 20 months laying siege to Rome three times, negotiating with Honorius multiple times, declared their own emperor once, and all in an effort to find a place within the political, social, and economic structures of Rome. These efforts, centered on using the city that served as the historical center of the empire as a bargaining piece, ultimately failed with the sacking of Rome. Alaric's concerns with finding a safe, secure place with designated positions for his people within Roman society were still not settled. The Goths may have been rich at this time, but they still could not feed themselves in one place for very long, and they would need to continue to move to find a new supply route, new source of supplies, and another method to find the security they seek now that they had spent their trump card with the sack of Rome. The Goths are now moving away from Rome and towards their new strategy to find a place in the Roman Empire, even if they have to take it for themselves. So that is where we will leave it for now. We will pick up with the Visigoths' new plan for safety and security and tragedy that will strike them. Some of the resources that I used for this week's episode include Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, Historia Nova by Zosimus, Goths and Romans 332 to 489 by Peter Heather, The Goths by Herwig Wolfram, History of the Later Roman Empire from the Death of Theodosius to the Death of Justinian I by J.D. Burry. If you like this show, please give a review on Podbean, iTunes, or the platform of your choice. Those reviews, as many of you already know, have a real impact on how many people see and how they get to be exposed to the podcast. Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook pages for more information and some resources about our barbarians. I've included several images associated with this week's episode. Uh, including some maps and some uh, images of things in Rome during the sacking. 
A big thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.